Good afternoon. Really looking forward to sharing this today. Um, it's probably not exactly what would first come to mind when you're asked to speak about worship. But um, let's just start with that verse. Um, Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruits of lips that openly profess his name. One day, a pastor's kid walked in on his dad preparing a sermon. And the dad's there scribbling away, writing everything down. And the kid says, Dad, how do you know what to say in a sermon? And the dad says, well, I just listen to God and write it down. And then the kid says, well, why do you keep crossing bits out? <laughs> That's a bit of an old joke. But um, when I was a kid, um, I think the really big thing in the church that I grew up in, the big thing, the bit where you heard God was in the preaching, was in scripture. That was the big thing. Uh, but for me, it was always in the singing. You might be able to guess because um, I'm really into worship. But things have changed, and the church is constantly changing, and different things are different, important to different people. But it also goes in eras as well. The, the church is a living body. It's always forming and reforming. Um, and that's why we hear kind of about big reformations or reformings uh, that happen throughout church history. It's always happening. Um, and we're in the middle of a huge reformation, a huge reforming of the church. You might be aware that some churches use pipe organs, uh, like this, and uh, there are other churches that use uh, bands, ones like ours. It might not seem like a big deal, but actually, this is kind of evidence, the fact that there are two different styles, um, is evidence of that there's a real reformation happening around worship. Never before have we had so many songs written that a worship band can sing. Never before have we had so many worship concerts that you can go to or buy worship albums. Uh, there are so many worship ministries. And now we have these large chunks of gathered time where we sing to God in a kind of journey where we meet God uh, through song. And it's this kind of new reformation is happening in worship. And it's happening everywhere. It's all over the globe. But in this great reformation, in worship, we're in danger of missing the whole point of worship for one reason. But first, <laughs> the view from 10,000 feet. That's a bit of a BuzzFeed style, wasn't it? Here's a big thing, you know, yeah, okay. The view from 10,000 feet. Um, so yes, worship has changed an awful lot dramatically over the course of church history. The really early church didn't use um, instruments at all. They just would sing with their voice. They probably, uh, at various points you see in the Bible, Jesus um, sang a hymn after the, his, the Last Supper. Uh, and uh, the early church probably didn't use musical instruments at all. And for much of their history, the Catholic church would only allow professional singers to sing. Uh, the services themselves would build to this climax where they would have communion or mass. Um, and the location of encounter, the part where they met with God, the bit that they kind of journeyed towards, um, would be in communion. That would be the most intimate time. Uh, and uh, that was a bit of a shock for me in my, uh, over my life. About 10 years ago, I was in Australia in a kind of a slightly higher Anglican church, which is a bit more kind of smells and bells and a bit more formal, a bit more traditional, pipe organ, etc. And we were transitioning, we were helping transition this church from a traditional, um, a traditional church to a more kind of contemporary band-led thing. And part of that was, um, was 
the vicar decided unilaterally to, to change communion from being once a week to just once a, uh, once a month. So not very often at all. And uh, that would be a bit more friendly for people who don't come to church that often. Um, and it gives a bit more space for the worship time, all that kind of stuff. But then we got this letter from these traditionalists who were great and loved brilliant people, but they sent us a letter saying, look, why are you taking away our communion with Jesus? And I listened to I kind of read it at the time, and I was like, well, that's normal. What, what's going on here? But actually, it was completely valid because historically, Catholics were obliged to believe that the, um, that the, blo- uh, the, the body and blood sorry, the wine and the bread of communion became the body and blood of Jesus. And so there's a real sense of intimacy there uh, and real sense of closeness. And so for them, these traditionalists who had kind of come over from the Catholic side, for them, actually, what we were doing, we were taking away that, that sense of intimacy from them. It's a real, like, a really interesting thing to learn, um, but I didn't really handle it very well in my immaturity. Uh, I've got so many stories like that. <laughs> so it's hilarious. Not... <laughs> Um, so the location of encounter with God uh, in the Catholic Church, in, in the Eastern Orthodox, um, most of it is in communion and in mass. And then in the 16th century, um, that view was challenged by a number of people, by a wing of the church that became Protestant, uh, the Protestant wing of the church. And their view uh, was where they replaced the communion table as the location of encounter with God. They replaced that with the pulpit. And this kind of thing. And that's kind of the environment that I grew up in as well, where scripture and the preaching was the center point of the, the, the center point of the meeting. And that was the point where you encountered God. That's the point where you heard the message from God um, and you felt close to God. That was the point which um, the location of, of location of encounter. And they still valued the communion table, of course they did, but actually scripture was the big one. I'm sure, similarly, there are people here who value the, uh, the scripture more than they value, say, the singing. And if that's you here, then I want to thank you for still coming to a church that values sung worship so much. Because, um, yes, you know, obviously, the way that you meet God, if it's through the word or through something else, is completely valid. But I also want to thank you for, making, for coming and making space for people to worship through sung worship, if, even if that's not how you meet God. But then, just about 40 years ago, uh, 1977, there was a couple of church leaders called John and Carol Wimber, and they had a real hunger for God, and they were meeting with a bunch of people who, they really just wanted to meet God and be close to him. And uh, they began meeting in their home with a goal of just being intimate with God. Let's just seek God, and let's just get close to God somehow. And um, they started doing that over worship, and they, they, uh, they wrote songs and sang songs that were just really simple uh, songs, really just expressing their affection to God. And they began to meet God through worship, through long, long, you know, really big chunks of worship time. And they would get a sense of God through that, a real sense of intimacy with God. And that began something that together with others around the world, the modern worship movement was born. That was 1977. And it kind of has increased rapidly since then. Um, it, it reaches all over the world. And again, they still value the word, they still value preaching, still value scripture, still value communion, but now this location of encounter with God, the climax is in the worship, and we often respond now to the word through worship as well, uh, and that happens all around, the, all around the world. 
And so lots of courses and contemporary songs kind of sprang up. They're all usable in a worship service. Um, all the big names in worship came out. For me, that was Graham Kendrick. That was one of the earliest big ones. Um, I remember being very young, singing Shine, Jesus, Shine. That was like one of the biggest things, you know, that was the thing. We sang it to death. Anybody remember Shine, Jesus, Shine? Yeah, okay. It was a few around. You know, that was, that was the big one. Um, and then Graham Kendrick just, you know, he just rocketed. So after Graham Kendrick, <laughs> there was Delirious. Well, yeah, rocketed as much as a... Yeah, English leader can do, uh, uh, worship leader can do. So Graham Kendrick, uh, then Delirious came along, then Hillsong, uh, Soul Survivor, they've been massive, and Bethel, and then G2, all the great <laughs> worship leaders. Come on. <laughs> but never before have we had access to so many songs, so many albums, so many worship concerts. You can just switch on Spotify, and you've got all the worship there you can possibly consume any song, all the songs you could possibly desire to worship God with. So as I said at the start, we're in the middle of this great new reformation in worship, but we're in danger of missing out on missing the whole point of worship because of this one reason. We miss out on the whole point of worship when we make worship all about us. I don't know if you've ever come out of a really great sung worship time and said, you know, the worship was great today. And you've based that on how you feel or what you've got out of it. And when we rate worship based on what we got out of it, then we've missed the point. Is a successful worship time when God is elevated, or is it when we encounter God? Is it where God's thanked and the story of God is retold, or is it when we feel something? You know, it's great to be singing to God with the goal of encountering him. That's such, you know, that's the great new thing, this great... Reformation, And it's easy to turn it, though, into a transaction where I worship you in order to get something back from you. God's worthy of worship, purely based on who he is and what he's done. Through creation, through the cross, through all he's doing in our lives now, and all he will do as well. He's totally worthy of it, just on its own. Or perhaps you come to church and just think, well, I'm not really up for it today. You know, the worship leader picks songs you don't really like. You don't really like the worship leader. Oh, Matt's on again. <laughs> Who deals with that rotor? Oh, it's Matt. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. You know, maybe if the worship team performs with enough quality or motivates me enough, then I'll feel like singing. Um, maybe if the worship, yeah, maybe if the worship team you know, sings YMCA, you know, like a DJ on the, on the, you know, when the DJ plays something and everybody kind of swamps onto the floor, and it can sometimes feel a bit like that, um, you know, the DJ's put on YMCA, but exactly, yeah, in, the, in all these ways, we can make worship about us, and there's more ways, of course, but what I don't want us to do out of this, that's quite a challenge, but what I don't want us to do is to try and sing to God without meeting him, because that would be crazy, obviously, God's doing this, God's doing this thing where we sing to him, and he he responds to our affections, and we have this great long journey, and it's great. So let's sing fully and abandoned to God. Let's journey towards him in wonder, awe, and praise, and let's encounter him fully. But let's also have a look at this verse. No, sorry, uh, that's the one. So, let, so that's the same verse, but we're going to expand it. So through Jesus, this is the one that we started with, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. 
And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Now that full stop between name and and is not there in the Greek because there's no punctuation in the Greek. Um, so it's the kind of the, the joining of the clause is uh, it's kind of more of an, more than an and, but less than a full stop or the other way around. It's kind of some, somewhere in between, but they're connected enough to make this one long thought. Yep. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices. God is pleased. So let's pair our sung worship with other acts of worship. Otherwise, we're in danger of turning what the writer of Hebrews calls the fruit of lips into just lip service. We need to pair our sung worship with other acts of worship like doing good and sharing with others. We need to learn that worship is more than a song. Worship is more than a song. The first time this really kind of came home to me, um, I, was, uh, I was at a church in Sheffield called St. Thomas's, and um, I was just walking down to the church, and there was a ton of, gla- of glass on the floor, um, not too far from the church, but um, away, away. Um, and I just walked down, and, I, and as a good citizen, I should probably have just stopped and picked it up, but actually, at the time, in my kind of walk, that's not where I was. So I just kind of meandered past it. And then I really felt, felt challenged. Why don't you just deal with it? Why don't you just pick up that, pick up the glass? And so I went, actually went into the church and picked up a dustpan and brush and then shoveled all this glass into a couple of bags, got rid of the bags, went on to church and then started singing um, as I would do normally. And uh, I got this sense from God that actually that act of cleaning up, where nobody else saw it, nobody else saw what I was doing, just that act of cleaning up was an, as much an act of worship as the singing was later. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big thing. It was just hashtag everyday worship. That's, we could do that. We could, I was thinking like we, as a response we could say hashtag everyday worship, but then we'd be kind of sharing it with the world. And it's, yeah, it, it, uh, it might, yeah, well, I'll get to the point later, but <laughs> I don't think that would be that helpful to, to start sharing how you're kind of changing the world that way. But anyway. In in Matthew 6, Jesus says, when we give, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. He says, cultivate, he's basically saying, cultivate that secret life between you and God. Now, at that point, he's talking about giving. He would also say the same thing about prayer, and the same thing applies about worship. Just keep it, do some things that between you and God. Have the secret worship life between you and God. Have you ever thought about a secret your secret worship life between you and God? Does it exist outside of a Sunday? I'm not just talking about singing, but if it was singing, do we only sing in church? Or do we need, do we need peer pressure in order to sing to God? We're all kind of worship leaders in that secret place of worship, especially if it's more than a song. What could it look like? Could it look like just finding spontaneous things like the glass thing that I, I kind of experienced back at St. Thomas's, that kind of stuff as an act of worship. Is that exciting? Is it daunting? Have you thought about your, your secret place of worship with God? We need to cultivate our secret place of worship in the everyday. But if worship's more than a song and more than a Sunday, I quite like that, worship is more than a song and worship is more than a Sunday, then what exactly is it? Well, let's get a better definition of worship so we can look at what that might look like. The next one, Romans. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul defines it here really quite succinctly. Worship is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, that sounds pretty horrific, actually. It sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? You know, you could totally see, see watching. Put an 18 rating on, on Paul here. Um, but it's to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And it comes from this idea in ancient Israel where they would bring a blemish-free animal from their stock and sacrifice it as an act of worship, uh, an act of worship to God. They would give the first fruits to God. It's a bit gruesome. It's a bit messy. But, and whatever you think of kind of giving animal sacrifices, which is a bit weird, um, the core idea is actually really quite good because they gave something that cost them to God. It was the same with the professional singers in the 1600s, and, you know, in, in uh, a big part of church history. Whatever you think about going to church and not being able to sing, the core idea is actually not too bad because the church would pay choristers to bring a blemish-free, perfect song as an act of worship to God, something that was good enough to give to God. It would be costly. I don't know what you feel about preparing yourself for worship on a Sunday, but do we just kind of meander in and a bit, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sing if I feel like it. How do we prepare ourselves? Is there, is there a cost to our worship? How about the, the secret life of worship? Is there a cost to our, to our worship? We're so used to being consumers, you see, that we forget that we're meant to be on the sacrifice. We're so used to consuming the sacrifice and getting something back from it that we forget we're meant to be the sacrifice. I'm bored with that worship album. It's time for a new worship album. I'll just switch the playlist on Spotify, on YouTube. Which worship song shall I sing in order to receive from God? No, we're the sacrifice. We offer our bodies. We choose to live holy lives, holy lives, pleasing to God. Have you ever thought about holiness as an act of worship to God? I think that's quite, I think that's quite something. Living, choosing to live a holy life is pleasing to God. What's holiness? Holiness is setting yourself apart to be used by God, and it means keeping yourself free of sin when you're tempted, saying no, uh, so that God can use you. Set yourself apart, live sin-free, imitate God. All those things are acts of worship. Saying no to temptation is an act of worship to God. And of course, imitating God, as the saying goes, there's truth, there's, the uh, imitation is the highest form of praise. So it's not just what we do with our physical bodies in terms of holiness, but also the giving of our time and many possessions. I think Dan's going to expand on this a bit. Um, but also, there's something else as well. The, word, the Hebrew word avad or abad, uh, which is used tons of times in the Old Testament, means both to worship and to serve. It's an overlapping definition. So it literally means both. We just don't have a word that, that's like it in English. The best way we can say is that worship, it's worship and serving. So to serve God is to worship as well. You've often heard, maybe as well, that as Christians, we're God's hands and feet in the world. But there's actually a similar dynamic that happens in reverse. And I don't know if you've thought about this before. In, in Matthew 25, Jesus says, whenever we give something like a, a glass of water or visit somebody in prison, um, whenever we give something to someone or say something to someone, then actually, no matter what we do and what we say, then God receives that as being given to him, even though somebody else receives it. God is the ultimate recipient of that gift or service. And everything external to us is an interface to God. 
Whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we give, God receives that. God receives our interactions. Everything we do or say or give is done and said and given to him ultimately. So when we follow the writer of Hebrews from the earlier quotes and we do good and we share with others, then God is the ultimate recipient even if we do it for others. And it's a particularly pure act of worship if, we, if the human recipient can't repay us or even doesn't even know. It's a kind of a secret, it's a really cool kind of secret thing to do it where nobody knows, just between you and God. So how could you cultivate your secret life of worship? It doesn't have to be onerous. It doesn't have to be this kind of big thing where you're saying, I'm going to give 12 hours a week, three evenings to do this and this and make it really hard for myself. No, actually, if it's spontaneous acts that are short or um, just imaginative one-offs, meeting someone else's need, whatever it is, in order to worship God, then that's a really great way of keeping it fresh and real and, uh, and enjoyable with God. And you can worship God that way. So worship is more than a song, and it's more than a Sunday. It's not about us consuming the sacrifice, but us offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. So let's cultivate our secret lives of worship with God. I'm going to hand over to Dan. He's going to carry on. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Bear with me. Quite ill today, so you might want to disinfect this mic or something afterwards. Um, but it's all right. It's all worship. Cool. So, building on one, Matt said, do you want to put the, the fun image, the, the image with the guy? I like that. It's quite good. So, we're all worshippers, and we all worship something. So, to worship something is to honor it, to value it above all else, and to submit to it above all else. That's just, that's what worshipping is. That's what we're doing when we worship God, and that's what we do when we worship. There's lots of other stuff we can worship, though. We're made to be worshippers, and that expresses itself in, in so many ways. What do you worship? Do you worship your money? Is it financial stability and uh, having enough, having the things we want? Is it your job? Is it being productive and busy? Is that what you worship? Is it affirmation? And that's one for me. How others see you and what others think about you. Is it independence? Do you worship the idea of like worshiping nothing, submitting to nothing except yourself? Whatever you worship, whatever gets your time and your love and your submission, that's what you're worshiping. Um, Louis Giglio, is that how you say his name? Um, has a, has a quote, he puts it this way. He says, we all have an altar, and every altar has a throne. Simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money and your allegiance, and at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whoever's on that throne is what, of, is, what is of highest value to you, and that'll be what you worship. Like it or not, we don't switch on and off our worship. We just direct it towards one idol or another. We are worshippers. We can't escape that. It's not as if when you're not worshipping God, you're suddenly worshipping nothing. You're just worshipping something else. In Romans 6.16, Paul says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... Your slaves are the one you obey. We are all worshippers, and we're all worshipping something. And we're always worshipping something. Let's look at that verse in Hebrews again, if you switch back to the um, uh, through Jesus. Nice. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Worship is that continual sacrifice. Just as Matt said, worship is giving ourselves as a living sacrifice, offering ourselves completely every part of our lives. And just as he says, sacrifice costs you're giving up something that's of value to you. A sacrifice of praise is giving something when it costs you. 
it'll cost you destroying the altars of everything else you've put a throne, everything else you've given a throne in your heart, everything else you're worshipping, that's what worshipping God is, is laying that down. That's what it's going to cost you. It'll cost you your pride, I can tell you that. Pride is defined as the consciousness of one's own dignity. Remember in David, uh, in Samuel 2, when David dances in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and his uh, wife gets a bit embarrassed, and then she kind of bathes, and that's the Old Testament for you. Um, this, is, <laughs> this, this, is, this is a man, David is a man who's described as a man after God's heart, whose words of worship are still used to praise God this day. And after dancing half naked in front of his people, in front of the Ark of the Covenant, he says, I'd become even more undignified than this. If there's a way to do it, I'd worship more. I'd lose more dignity. I'd lay down more pride if I could. I had to lay down my pride in, in doing this talk. <laughs> Being so ill and I, I just wanted to give up. I tell you a good few times in doing it, I just wanted to not bother. And if I'm really honest, when I got down to the root of it, is I was scared. I was scared of sacrificing the affirmation of others. I thought I'd just sound so snotty. It would sound terrible on the recording. No one would want to listen. Um, you know, but I just came back to this fact that it wasn't about me. I, was, I wasn't getting up and talk here because, oh, finally, I get to talk and everyone will see me that bit better. It was just about God. I lay there on my bed just, like, feeling, I can't do this. And God was saying, is, is that, you know, what, what is at the heart of what you're doing here? It'll cost you your pride. It'll cost you your time. Worship will cost you your effort and your thoughts. But we're offering that anyway. We're all worshiping something. One of the big, I think one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to worship is that suddenly, out of nowhere, when it comes to worshiping God, we're worshiping something. We're sacrificing something to someone with no guarantee of anything in return. And so it's not worth the risk. But you're doing that anyway. <laughs> if you're worshiping your job, then you're going to be you know, sacrificing to it, potentially you know, not investing in, in your relationships and your friends and your family because you're thinking about that, thinking about how to get more power, more money, more authority. You're giving up something anyway. If you're worshipping your pride, you may miss out on what God's doing because you're so scared of how you think and how you feel and how other pe people perceive you. You miss out on God. And if you're going to miss out on something, if you're going to sacrifice something, do you want to sacrifice God? <laughs> or do you want to sacrifice in something of this world? As Matt said earlier, we, we worship God because he's worthy of it. We don't worship it because we want something in return. Because when we start doing that, we miss out on the point. We miss out what God's doing. But the, the reality is when we worship, he gives us something back. He is a good God. He does give in return. And that thing he gives us is presence. He promises in all his unimaginable generosity, he chooses to respond to us in worship. And he chooses to bring his presence. That when we worship him and we completely submit to him and lay down all these other altars and idols and everything else we've worshipped and put that in front of him, and put, put that in front of him and lay it at his feet, he comes. And in that place, he makes us more like him. In that place, when we worship him, we invite him into our hearts, and we invite him to look at all these altars and all these thrones and everything else we've worshipped, and we invite him to say, you can replace those. You can be at the center of my heart. You can be the one thing I worship. You can transform my heart to be like yours. Um, in preparation for this talk and studying this, uh, this verse, I found a great way in the message interpretation, um, a phrase in it where they say, um, Mr. Peterson uh, translated it as, God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that, take place in the, that takes place in the kitchen, on the work, in the workplace, and on the streets. After last week's talk, uh, I was uh, on prayer, 
uh, I was, I've been sort of making a more conscious effort in terms of like how I engage in sort of prayer and my conversation with God uh, and seeking him and seeking his heart. And the other day I was walking down the road and I was saying, okay, God, what is that one thing I can do? You know, you, it was um, for James, it was that cold shower. Uh, what is that one thing I could do that could draw me closer to you and, and, you know, just enhance my prayer life and my relationship with you? And just really clearly, I just felt him say, just give me your walks. I walk everywhere at the moment. Uh, my bike's back at home. I don't have a driving license yet. See, my dad just, <laughs> my dad, they're like, whose fault is that, Dad? Uh, <laughs> mine, I'm just lazy. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I walk everywhere, and so I just felt God saying, when you do that, put your headphones in your pocket and just walk with me. So I've been doing that. And the other day I was walking down the road, I was thinking about this message, a version of it, and thinking, okay, worship, a, a place of sacrifice on the streets. So that might be what Matt was talking about in terms of clearing the grass, uh, the, the grass, the glass, um, grass too. Um, but I was walking down the road, and I thought, what, what is worship like now as I walk towards Warmgate, and as I'm just sort of, on my everyday walking. What does it look like? And I genuinely like, focused on my mind of God, and I thought, I'm just walking, God. What, what, what does it look like here? I've not got my guitar. I don't really want to start singing out loud unless you want me to, but what, like, what is it here? How do I worship you? And bit by bit, I just focused more on him. I just fixated my mind on him. I was saying, God, what do you want? How do you want to be worshipped? It's all about you. And, and then like, I just realized that was it. And in that moment, like, I was just, I just felt overcome by his presence. It wasn't like a massive thing. I didn't sort of fall to my knees, but I was just so peaceful. All the worries and everything else just faded because I was focusing on what he wanted. And so my stuff just became irrelevant. I just realized that was what it was. I was ready at that point to go wherever he wanted and do wherever he wanted. It didn't manifest itself in some crazy evangelism as it might have done for Miriam. <laughs> or um, grabbing some guitar or some busker off the side of the street and start singing, you know, shine, Jesus, shine. Uh, but... <laughs> But it, I mean, to be honest, that day it just manifested itself as a smile. I just had a massive smile on my face for ages. Um, but I'd given myself as a living sacrifice in that moment. I'd given, I'd given a walk. It was, it was hardly anything. Um, but I'd given it. Um, yeah. So we're all worshipping something. But when we worship God and we sacrifice to him everything, he brings his presence. And he makes our hearts more like his. And I'd say this one last thing before we finish. This may, in this talk um, between me and Matt, it, it may produce feelings of guilt in you. It may produce a feeling of burden. How do I approach this? That's understandable. Let's put up the last bit. In that verse, it says, through Jesus, that's how it starts. We can't give something to God that he hasn't first given to us. We're created to worship. We don't create our own worship. It's just you know, an expression of what he's already doing. So don't feel a burden to carry this by yourself. Look to Jesus. Just as Matt said, God, know, God knows how he wants to be worshipped. Ask him, go to him, start there. It's not up to you to figure it out by yourself. If you don't know where to start, just ask God how he wants to be worshipped. So we'll invite the, uh, the band up. And we'll, uh, we're just going to go into a bit of a time of response. And, uh, and as we do, um, yeah, it's, we just want to tell the story a bit of um, the, the song, the first song we're going to sing, which is called Heart of Worship. Some of you might have heard this story, um, and we won't spend long on it, um, but it's basically about this time when Matt Redman and Mike Pilavacci, who are, who are sort of Matt Redman running the worship, and Mike Pilavacci at this church, so Survivor 64, um, they just found that every, every week their worship was this incredible spectacle of, you know, phenomenal musicality and sort of great presentation. Um, 
But people were coming just for that. Just like Matt said, people were coming for that consumer worship. And Mike just felt, Mike could have actually just felt, led to just be like, actually, if this is what it's all about, then we need to get back to the heart of worship. And they stripped that all down. And for a while, just in their meetings, for that time of worship, they would just have silence, they'd wait on God. And a lot of the congregation just fell away. But the guys who remained were the guys who really wanted to see God's heart. And out of that place, amazing stuff started to happen. And then Matt Redmond wrote this song, Heart of Worship, that when everything else has faded away, when all the music's gone, and you just look to God, that's the heart of worship when it becomes about Him and not about us. So we're going to stand and respond to this. Why don't you stand now? And um, let's just, just wait to sing the words. We're going to put the words up now. And let's just, just wait to sing until until you are ready to commit. These are actually quite serious words. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've desired. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. So when you're ready to sing those words and mean them, then please do join in. Uh, and then we're gonna to worship together uh, beyond that as well. But let's, let's respond truthfully uh, to God. Amen. Something that's the worst 
that will bless your heart. And I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search, you search much deeper within and through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made, and it's all about you.